0: talks connects professionals in the life science medical device and food industries with useful content like webinars job openings articles and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career this food industry focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest b2b industry news to help keep you up to date This week on the show, we are discussing how e commerce boosted the food and beverage industry and vegan KC, the next big plant based innovation. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, food industry journalist and webinar moderator at XTalks.com. And this week, I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a story about how uh, some online food trade shows and e-commerce kind of kept the food and beverage industry going throughout the pandemic. So prior to COVID, um, we would see a lot of food trade shows that would help small and large businesses attract new buyers and customers. Uh, but when the pandemic struck, obviously, that those uh, types of shows, physical stores, in-person exhibitions and expos came to a halt. But fortunately, uh, online technology and cool tools came to the rescue and e-commerce really blossomed, especially in this industry. So obviously, the food and beverage industry was not the only uh, industry to have been severely disrupted by the pandemic, but it was certainly one of the biggest ones, I would say. And when the stay-at-home orders were enforced, uh, we saw a huge reduction of traffic to restaurants and cafes, um, and it was estimated that the restaurant industry alone lost nearly $120 billion in sales during only the first three months of the pandemic, according to the National Restaurant Association. So in addition, the food and beverage industry relies heavily on what's called just-in-time logistics. Um, so they move very quickly, of course, and this model is ideal when operations are normal and they can't even withstand a certain level of disorder within the supply chain. Um, but due to the pandemic, the global uh, supply chain disruptions were, um, you know, disastrous in many cases and just in time logistics were not uh, as effective. So all these factors sort of led to the closures or economic losses for thousands of restaurants, bars and even some groceries during the pandemic. But it wasn't all bad and the industry quickly pivoted to digital technologies. So at the height of the pandemic, I'm sure we know this, but a third of consumers ordered groceries online and 41% of them were doing it for the first time. And, if, you know, the convenience of having groceries delivered to the front door is likely to remain a long-term habit for many consumers post-pandemic. If the weather is anything like it is today in Toronto, I think you guys would totally agree with me. Um, and this trend wasn't just limited to retail. Um According to McKinsey, which is a management consultancy company, more than three quarters of B2B decision makers say that they now prefer digital self-serve and remote human engagement as opposed to -to face-to-face interaction. And 89% of them plan to continue making B2B purchases remotely for the medium term. So the main channel of uh, many food and beverage producers for acquiring customers has been these physical trade shows, um, events and exhibitions. And a lot of businesses admit that this is a hit or miss approach and it can come with disadvantages like cost to attend, potential language barriers, logistics and a slew of competition or unqualified leads. So since in-person exhibitions have been significantly affected by the pandemic, suppliers did lose some connections with their customers. Um, and, you know, with global supply chain disruptions, um, declining physical traffic and lockdown, suppliers decided to give online food trade shows a try. So, And also... Some of them may have returned um, in in the periods in which the pandemic seemed to be leveling out a little bit, but worries over the spread of the Omicron variant also put halt to a lot of in-person events. So the Private Label Manufacturers Association, for example, recently canceled its annual private label trade show and pivoted to online. And another recent example is from December, this past December, when Alibaba, the Chinese e-commerce marketplace, hosted an online trade show, the Global Food and Beverage selection. So it featured sixteen hundred exhibitors from all over the world and it saw more than two hundred and eighty-two thousand food and beverage products presented um, and resulted in order in orders being placed internationally. So I don't think that these in-person trade shows is going to be a thing of the past, but what I do think is that many businesses are going to likely continue hosting and attending online food trade shows for a multitude of reasons post-pandemic, and e-commerce will continue to be the driving force behind them. So um, I wanted to just ask you guys what you think of um, you know, these trade shows and, and exhibitions like pivoting online, do you see them in, in this industry specifically being as effective or maybe even more effective um, to be hosted online rather than in person given uh, some of the barriers that I mentioned?
2: Well, I think it depends, like, what is the goal of the trade show? I think uh, for this these ones here, the goal is to directly reach the customers. Is that correct? Like, it's not to reach um, – you know, grocery stores or some other companies that may want to sell their food product, but it's directly to reach customers?
1: Yeah, I think I think the Alibaba one was directly to reach the customers. And that's also a really good point, because like, whereas some trade shows may have been limited to like suppliers or, or distributors, if it's online, it's very accessible to anyone. Um, so that is a good point. And yes, I think a lot of the trade shows were, um, yeah, to to reach directly to customers.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I guess online would be a great idea then. Um, then you can just see a different variety of food. But for me personally, I'd rather go in person. I just, it's just seeing the food physically in front of you. It just makes a difference to me. Of course.
3: Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing that um, definitely in terms of accessibility, um, it's great, of course, to have these virtual trade shows. But if you're talking about something like food I feel like there's so much more attached to it like you know just seeing it in person and I'm not sure if these trade shows involve like taste testing or like or even visual presentation the aroma looking at the texture you know up close and perhaps sampling them so all of that like I think you lose all of that in these online uh, trade shows but of course because of the pandemic um, there really was no choice I think it's a great option though um, in the case that you even in the future like pandemic like even when we're out of the pandemic where um, it's definitely a great option to have these virtual events but I feel like as soon as the pandemic is over people are yearning to get back to those in-person events and then Mm -hmm. I think we might see um, those really happening in full force but knowing that you have a virtual option is is fantastic.
1: Yeah, I can definitely agree with with what both of you are saying. And as someone who's been writing about food, and if I ever had the chance to attend a show and actually get to interact with the products that I've written about or just find out about new uh, food and beverage innovations, I would absolutely jump on the chance. And I think it would be awesome. And I hope to be able to do that one day. Um, But yeah, for the time being, I actually think these online trade shows will actually maybe result in in more sales, Uh, because if you can't try the thing, you may be more inclined to just say, oh, I'll buy it so I can try it. And, you know, so maybe it's good for these these vendors and and suppliers. Maybe like send me a sample. Yeah, Yeah. I I wrote wrote a little while ago about how food sampling, how COVID (coughs) has changed like food sampling, because, you know, we all know that Costco has literally the best Mm. Uh, food <laughs> yeah. samples and and those kind of came to a a pause uh at the beginning of the pandemic but a lot of um a lot of big food companies shifted to sending samples with uh other orders um or yeah place an order of $20 and you'll get a free sample of this or something like that so the whole environment of of of, of sampling and just um you know getting a look at things before you buy them has has shifted um but yeah I think we're all yearning for it to get back to what we know and love um especially costco i've not been to a costco in a while but i don't know if you, either of you have and i don't know if samples have returned but i really hope they have
3: <laughs> i think i was there last month a couple of weeks. yeah last month no no <laughs> not, <aw>. yet. <laughs> well, not, not yet well maybe not
1: in canada i would imagine in the states probably yeah. in some in some states but sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, So anyway, uh, I'll move on to our next story about um, a new plant-based innovation. So it's um, vegan casein. So the Foodative Group, which is a plant-based ingredient manufacturer, recently developed a... developed a vegan version of casein, which is one of the main animal proteins found in milk. So the Dutch startup used precision fermentation, which is something I've, I've written about before, and I'll get into a little bit more, to create vegan casein, which would make it possible to replace cow's milk in dairy products without losing flavor, texture, or quality. So when they were developing the vegan casing, Foodative aims to eradicate the downsides of factory farming, antibiotics, hormones, and lactose found in milk, So as for the factory farming, it requires large amounts of water to be effective, and there's risks of animal cruelty, and also it poses environmental concerns. And while cow's milk is, we know this, it's a good source of protein and calcium, but there are other ingredients and additives like natural growth hormones and lactose that can make it hard to digest for a lot of people. So the founder and CEO of Foodative, um, he said that making healthy and affordable food for everyone means that we simply need to target every aspect of our diet and make animal free products and making animal free products should definitely be a part of it. He added that delivering ingredients that have been produced sustainably is the main key to a long lasting future that can support the growing human population. So getting into what casein actually is, uh, it's a naturally occurring protein found in milk that gives it its white color, flavor, and creamy texture. And it also accounts for about 80% of milk's total structure. Um, and the other 20% is uh, whey, I think, and, pretend- and a few other things. Um, but in addition to milk, casein protein is found in a variety of dairy products like yogurt, cheese, infant formulas, and then dietary supplements. Um, Now, casein is also responsible for giving cheese its meltable, stretchable and bubbling qualities. So I'm sure we've noticed this before, but um, non-dairy cheese, uh, the consistency is really difficult to replicate without that casein. The cheese may it may look and even taste similar, but it won't melt the same. And this is where fooditives vegan casein could be a game changer. Precision fermentation, the company can make an exact replica of any animal protein without changing its taste, check, texture, or quality. So most people are not, like I said, too enthusiastic about plant-based cheese because it doesn't taste as full or delicious as cheese made from cow's milk. But uh, the plant-based casein will change that. Um, It's not only a revolution potentially for the industry, but also for people themselves. And, um, you know, the choice for vegan and sustainable products becomes a lot easier when the products are so similar um, and virtually indistinguishable from, you know, their animal counterparts. So Foodative's vegan casein is also suitable for a variety of applications from milk to creams, yogurt, and cheeses, and the company claims that the ingredient will be the first vegan casein available for use in the food and beverage industry, and it plans to debut the ingredient this year. But Foodative isn't the only company working on um, taking the cows out of the dairy equation. So we have a Belgium-based company called Those Vegan Cowboys. They're also using precision fermentation to reinvent all cheese varieties for the sake of the planet. And it was just motivated by a lack of good vegan cheese options. So they started exploring ways to create vegan caseins using fermentation and gene splicing techniques. And another startup out of San Francisco called New Culture also made use of precision fermentation for its plan to launch a dairy-identical vegan mozzarella in 2023 so even though foodative is going to have some competition in the vegan casein space i would say that being first to market will definitely give the company a competitive advantage it needs to fulfill its very large goal of feeding everyone in a healthy sustainable way So something like this kind of goes against what uh, one of the major food predictions that I talked about a few podcasts ago um, where I was talking about vegan um, and plant-based foods really going back to the basics. This is actually making use of a lot of uh, science and food tech to um, just essentially replicate Uh, dairy, except without, you know, needing the cows or or harming them. So uh, we might actually be seeing more of this. And I think this is uh, really, really cool. So what do you guys think of it? Um, Is this something that you think will be able to actually convince people to maybe cut out dairy?
2: I... I just have a question and I'm sorry if I missed something, but I just, so if a protein is of animal origin and it's being reproduced the exact same protein um, without using animals, is that product, I I know it's still called vegan, but do vegans consider that as truly like a vegan product? Do you know what I mean? Because it's of animal origin, like it's...
1: That's a great question. Um, And I would say to that, it depends. Um, Mira, our our, former colleague wrote about um, something that's called animal free. So uh, there are other companies doing similar things, um, making ice cream and and even dairy, uh, or, or just milk. And they they do a similar thing, but they don't actually use they don't make use of the animal, just the protein from it. And they would call it animal-free. So I think a better way to describe this would be animal-free rather than vegan. Um, because vegans can be very specific. And I think it definitely depends on the person. I would say a large majority of vegans might be okay with it. And then a few may not. And and maybe that's just for like th- their own uh, health reasons. Maybe they just prefer not to consume dairy. Uh, but... Yeah, that's a very good question. I didn't really elaborate too much on that in the story, um, but I think that the this is more for people who um, who really like the taste of milk um, and maybe don't want to transition to fully going vegan, but uh, want an alternative that is 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 really similar.
2: Yeah, yeah, or for vegans who are doing it for like sustainability reasons. Right, right.
3: Yeah, what I got from this is that this is going to be a vegan, vegan casein. So it's not going to be derived from any animal-based product. Um, am I correct? Because they're going to use this um, precision fermentation, which I think they use microbes in, mm-hmm. in the lab and things like that, to uh, produce casein. So they it mimics animal casein, but it's completely non-animal. Right? I think that's the idea.
1: I think that's the idea as well. Yeah. When I was looking into it, I think they're using, like, they're fer- their fermenting, like, yeast. Um, they're growing it in yeast. Yeah. I think. yeah yes. It, like, yes. Yeast. Yeah. So. Um, but not to say that other companies aren't doing what, what you were talking about, Vera, like, taking um, the protein from the animal and sort of, like, right. yeah. So, But I think, yeah, in this case, it is it is meant to be fully vegan. Yeah.
3: So I think this is extremely powerful, then, if that's the case, because it is going to appeal, obviously, to the vegan consumer right market and I think it has so much potential. And so far, there's not too much competition, right? Because mm-hmm. I think you just mentioned there are, like, two other – two maybe just a couple of other companies working on this. So I think this is really, really cool. And I'm just wondering, like, the current vegan cheeses, then – are they completely vegan? Like, I, it's hard. Yeah. Like, so what do they use in in, in place of casein and, and things like that? Um, because I think some of the so-called vegan cheeses, I was just reading now, that they do contain some casein. So they're not completely vegan. And I think, mm. yeah. So I think that's something that people have to check for if they're like really strict about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I didn't know that. Um, But I I do know, though, like that the problem with a lot of vegan cheeses is like, yeah, they just don't melt. They might slightly, you know, get warm and and mimic melting but they just don't melt like normal cheese would do so uh if 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 this could uh could alleviate that problem and i think that's also why these these the other companies that i was mentioning are working specifically on cheese um but where foodative has the leg up is that they don't want to create like their own products they just want to sell the vegan casein to other companies to use um to be more of like a like you know, yeah, like they're, they're not trying to sell a product aside from the vegan casein and then it can be used uh, throughout the, f- the food and beverage industry. So I think that's pretty brilliant of them to use it that way rather than just creating a couple products around it because there's so many applications that it can be used for. And I would predict that once this does, um, you know, start being available, that we're going to start seeing a lot of already vegan um, or plant-based uh, dairy companies starting to use it and also um regular dairy companies starting to use it as well like we see meat companies um, releasing plant-based meats as well but i also wonder how something like this would um you know affect farmers i always wonder like if they're upset about innovations like this if they think it might impact their you know their their livelihoods and their careers obviously it's we're in the very beginning stages of this, but I wonder if there is fear among like the farming community of whether uh, like dairy farmers, if if they're worried yeah. about the future of, of, of their jobs.
2: I definitely think they are because in the advertisements I see, for example, like dairy farmers of Canada, they always start their commercial off by saying, like, for example, did you know that we only use 1% of, for instance, total greenhouse gases? or we only contribute to 1% of greenhouse gas emissions Still in the entire lot. country. <laughs> yeah, I know. But they the fact that they just want to start a commercial by saying yeah. that just shows that they're probably worried um, mm-hmm. about about their, like image i guess and yeah
1: i mean there's a lot of reason to 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 be worried and i think this this isn't the only reason that they would be worried because it yeah these these growing like climate concerns definitely can't be affecting them positively and there's only so much you can do as a dairy farmer to cut down on on greenhouse gas emissions like it's really not um There's not too much you can do, and they require a lot of water, like I said, in other resources. So I think that the point of these vegan caseins and other technologies like this is to sort of offset, um, you know, real dairy. I don't think the point is to completely get rid of it. And I also don't think that's ever going to be what we're going to see. I don't think we'll ever be rid of dairy. Um, But... Yeah, I think I think they're just working on ways to to cut down on the reliance on cows and dairy. Um, And I think it's a it's it's really cool. I think it's a good start. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thanks, everyone. And see you next week. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X-Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com.